Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2, the safe space created for Black women by Black women to strip away the taboo of talking about mental health. You'll hear from mental health professionals and advocates as well as Black women sharing their experiences as we break down the complexities, explore ways to heal, and support each other. My name is Ashley, I'm your host. Whether you're a seasoned regular or this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for your support. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. I'm your host, Ashley, and I'm super excited as usual. I'm, just, I'm, I'm excited to do every episode, but this episode feels a little bit like um, another reunion episode because we have Dr. Son Stevens. Um, welcome back. I think it's, it's been way too long um, since, since I've had you on the pod. So welcome back, Dr. Stevens. It has been. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited. Yeah. Another reunion of sorts. <laughs> Um, If you are new to the podcast, well, if you're a regular, then you know the voice and you know the name. Um, Dr. Stevens has done many episodes with us. Um, She's brought lots of knowledge to the podcast. But if you're new, Dr. Stevens is just, she's amazing. So I will just give a quick introduction, but I'm just super excited to have you here and I'm excited to have this conversation Dr. Stevens is, uh, has a PhD in ABPP. She's a program direct, director and founder for Ultimate Thinking Psychology Consultants, uh, PA, and the co-founder of Standing in the Gap Community Development Corporation. Um, she's a graduate from the University of Notre Dame, uh, received a PhD and a Master's of Arts from the Counseling Psychology Program. She is a uh, licensed psychologist, if you didn't catch that with all the all the acronyms that I threw around, but, um, yes, Dr. Stevens, is there any, anything else that you're doing outside of, of, um, the things that I mentioned? More so like we've, I think I've mentioned, you know, in terms of an area of research that I'm particularly passionate about is working with black youth, particularly in the areas of trauma and understanding some of the trauma that black youth and caregivers experience, um, whether it comes in the force of in the face of or in the way of police harassment or harassment from administrators or teachers at school and certainly within the home as well and in the community. So we are beginning to study, you know, to understand um, that relationship as well, but more so in terms of understanding how we can implement different interventions to help buffer against these ill effects. So that's an area that um, I'm really... um, starting this season so thank you so much for the opportunity to talk a little bit about that yes yes um you're always welcome to talk to talk about whatever you want on this podcast dr stevens just know that (laughs) but for people that have uh, maybe this is their first time um hearing from you so i want to do a little three minute uh, icebreaker. We're just going to do some little rapid questions. Um, you say the first thing that comes to mind, um, if you want to tell us a background story, feel free. Um, but it's just three minutes and we'll, we're just going to get through these questions. You ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. How do you take your coffee? Um, oat milk with a teaspoon of raw brown sugar oh wow i like that i always do oat milk 
and I do decaf because I drank way too much coffee in college. Way too much. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm the other way. I drink so much. I can't. I love the caffeinated stuff. <laughs> um, Dr. Stevens, if you could live in any in any country, where would you live? Outside um, of the U.S. Probably either Costa Rica or Vietnam. Mm. Had a chance to visit Costa Rica um, for study abroad, and I loved it. You know, it was just a oasis. Yeah. And then, of course, Vietnam. That's where my foreparents are from. So really, opportunity to connect. Oh, that's so cool. Have you been back there? It's funny you should say that. I'm planning a trip. Hopefully, within a month, if all goes well. Oh, well, I hope you get to go on that trip. And my mom, so we're excited. Oh, that would be awesome. I can't wait to hear about that. Yeah, my dad, sorry. Yep, (laughs) my parents. You got to bring him with you. You can't leave him behind. <laughs> um, Dr. Stevens, what's the best era of music? 70s, 80s, 90s, 2060s, 2020s? You know, I mean, I would have to say like the 70s because the 70s was really represented a, a fusion of, of of our roots from the 20s, 30s, and 40s. You know, and certainly the 60s. It's not like the 60s and 70s. It represented that fusion from those early parts of, of, and I'm more so speaking of African-American or black music. And certainly, and and you see so many of our current um, artists going back to borrowing from directly using techniques that were developed in the sixties and seventies. So I think the sixties and seventies, you know, it was just a wonderful time, you know, of music. And of course we have like some of the best, most lauded, you know, artists of, of all time, you know, that created music during that time. You know, of course, Michael Jackson, Prince, you know, of course, Stevie Wonder, you know, so. Yes, so many, so many like legends in that era, for sure. Definitely. Definitely laid some groundwork for um, for all the newbies that came after them. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Stevens, have you completed anything on your bucket list? Um, I did go um, skydiving. Really? I did. I did. I did. It was fun. I probably I need to do it again because I was really anxious. So I need to do it again so that I'm actually more relaxed. But yeah. I did do that. I also learned how to swim. Oh, that's so awesome. I to learn how to swim. Nice. So that was something I did for a birthday. Both of those things were, you know, it was a Hallmark birthday. I nice. wanted to learn how to do both. So oh, I, I love that. Where'd you go skydiving at? Actually, off of our Sebastian Inlet. So on the okay. east coast of Florida, right between like, um, I guess it's almost almost parallel on the um, Atlantic or east coast of Florida mm-hmm. to Orlando. So mm. right there on the coast. And it's a beautiful area to skydive because the, the just the outline of the coast is just breathtaking. Wow. Okay. I've never been in that area, but I, I, I need to go see it. I won't be skydiving, but I will gladly bungee jump. I oh, yeah. Skydive. Yeah. I've bungee oh. jumped before, but I cannot jump out the sky. Really? Not at this point. Not today. Maybe ask me in a couple <laughs> years. I don't know. <laughs> bungee jumping is only a couple feet up, you know? know? It's only a couple feet down, I should say. I know. It's close <laughs> enough to the ground. I'm like, I might make it if something goes wrong. I maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, Dr. Stevens, if you can take a vacation, would you go to the beach, a cabin, or hang out in the city? 
I'm a Florida girl, so the beach all the, the way. Beach. Yeah. Beach, oh, I beach, feel that. beach. Can I get a beach by a mountain? Maybe. Oh, you know? yes. Beach, <laughs> hiking, biking. Oh, I'm all for that. Yes. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> if you could create a TV show, what kind of show would you create and why? That's a good question. What kind of TV show would I create? You know, I'm probably going to get crucified a little bit about this, but I never did watch um, the Shonda Ron show that everybody loved. Um, the Grey's Anatomy? No, no, no. That one I watched a little bit of, but she was a fixer for DC. Um, You're talking about, um, oh my gosh, Olivia Pope. Um, yes, yes, yes. Scandal. Yes. Yes. Oh. So I love that trope, you know, of the unconventional, unconventional character, you know, being yeah. the fixer, being the detective, you know. Yeah. So whether it's this like nerdy girl, you know, being like a, a detective, you know, flying under the the radar. Oh, I like and that. Just solving murders, fixing things. Yeah. Oh, you know, I like that. You got to watch Scandal one day. It's, it's, I watched, I don't think I saw the last season, but the first few seasons I was into, I mean, it's an amazing show. Carrie Washington is awesome. There's also a new show on Hulu. Um, as y'all can see, I love, I do love watching TV. I can admit that without shame now. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a new, right. I, I'm, I'm just, I have no shame in it. I love watching TV. But it's but a great art form. It really it is. is. It is. I think it's, it's yeah, it's exciting to be like brought into a story. But there's a new show on Hulu um, with Niecy, Niecy Nash as like mm. one of the leads. And she's a teacher who was like retired as a teacher and then became a cop. Oh, um, yeah. So I've watched the first episode. It's, it's a pretty cute like you know, like fun detective show where she's in LA. It's right. it's pretty cute. So it's kind of a little bit uh, along the lines of what it seems like you would create. So you got to check that out. I will. I will. <laughs> I love DC Nash. So I, I'll definitely, I, I've seen it and I forgot to, you know, put it on my DVR, but yeah, I'll make sure. I, well, I don't, you know, well, watch it on Hulu. I guess you can, yeah. <laughs> you, you can save it. You could just save it, <laughs> but you got to watch it. Let me know what you think. Um, I will. So today, before we get into this episode, we are going to do um, our mind games question, and I am going to read you the, de the definition, and you got to wait all the way to the end of the episode to hear the answer. So Dr. Stevens, you can't help them because you're probably going to know exactly what it is. <laughs> okay, no problem. <laughs> all right. So for today's mind game question. Uh, this is actually not a mental health. This is a mental health condition. Um, so this particular condition uh, is where you display an over-the-top level of activity or energy, mood, or behavior. This elevation must be a change from your usual self and be noticeable by others. Some of the symptoms in include feelings of invincibility, lack of sleep, racing thoughts and ideas, rapid talking, and having false beliefs or perceptions. All right. I won't go into all the juicy details of that particular mental health condition, uh, but we will circle back at the end and you'll get your answer. So if you got time to um, ruminate about, <laughs> about that, that answer, you can hop on Dr. Google and try to guess what it is. If you're on Spotify, you can plug in your answer. Yeah. So we'll meet you at the end of the show with the answer, but 
For today, there is, uh, today we're going to be talking about a topic that Dr. Stevens and I, since I think the first time that we met, we've been wanting to have this conversation. Um, I know I've been very intentional about being patient and waiting till like the stars connect on our end to have this conversation with Dr. Stevens, um, because I know it's something that she's very passionate about. But today we are talking about when prayer isn't enough when church and mental health, where they intersect and, and kind of the history and the cultural sometimes divide that happens between mental health and church, particularly Christian churches, particularly black churches. So Dr. Stevens, I know this is something that, <laughs> that you're very passionate about. And so I'm, I'm excited to get into this today, but um, can you talk to me a little bit about the kind of the history of the the crossover or black black churches and mental health and kind of what's happened before before now you know and and I I chuckle because you know we think about the history of black church and mental health issues I think we always have to go back you know to slavery you know in terms of you know and, and I think that was such a pivotal and defining moment, you know, for, for black people, especially, you know, here in the, not just here in the, the U.S., but certainly across Americas, and, you know, um, in terms of how it transformed, how we go about understanding our own spirituality and how we understand our identity, you know, um, I don't even think that this description even gives it its true um, or speaks to the true magnitude of how impactful this force was, you know, of slavery. But, you know, certainly when we think about certainly slavery and, and, and the black church um, and, and certainly the remnants of that, you know, I think it really does speak to, you know, the fact that black people, you know, throughout our history, you know, we've had to modify, you know, our ways, especially during that period of time in order to appease the, the higher ups, you know, and certainly, you know, whether these were the people who, you know, enslaved us during that period of time. And so that often meant that we all, you know, had to minimize or go about modifying like our true, you know, emotions. And when you think about that, you know, in terms of minimizing or constantly regulating how you express how you truly and actually feel, you know, there's this theory of epigenetics, you know, in a sense that different traits and history are passed down genetically now certainly there's a lot of controversy about that idea you know however you know certainly we do see and we do understand you know certainly how certain values and and histories are transmitted from generation to generation to generation and I think that's what you know this bigger idea that I'm speaking to you know in terms of how these histories these traits these belief systems are transmitted throughout history starting from this very pivotal pivotal time now part of it certainly is a minimization and regulation of emotions you know in the sense of if you were experiencing an extreme form of trauma you know you had to regulate how you actually felt mm. so that you wouldn't incur any type of consequence for yourself or for others or for your children or for your family members, right? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of values 
you don't necessarily have to directly experience that in order for it to be traumatic. Someone witnessing that can be, you know, certainly affected by that same trauma, you know. So, again, so when we think about that, you know, and certainly just, just the institution of slavery, I think it's important to speak to that. Now, of course, and then we bring in the Black church, you know, and so when we think about the evolution of the Black church, you know, certainly started out, you know, certainly on the plantations where, you know, um, Black people were allowed to, you know, have and more so practice with under the edicts of Christianity, mm-hmm. you know, and so they infuse certainly their traditions, you know, from Africa in order to practice in a way that felt natural and appropriate for them. You know, and certainly over time, when Black people were afforded more freedoms, we were able to certainly practice within our own places of worship. But even that was, you know, highly institutionalized. Right. Certainly certain churches um, went out of line, you know, in terms of um, advocating a certain position. You know, those churches or those preachers or, you know, um, individuals from that particular group, they were treated extremely harshly and certainly punished based on those teachings that they, you know, tried to disseminate throughout the community. You know, and again, I think this speaks to, you know, just how much the Black church has had to modify its message, you know, so in order to be palpable to the outside community, Mm. you know, but being able to communicate so much more with the restraint of words, you know, and I think that 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 balance is really important, you know, because when we think about today, right, and in terms of how, you know, and I know that there's often a criticism about the Black church, the Black church is not doing enough compared to, say, the 60s or the 70s, right, the Black church's influence isn't as um, widespread as as it once was. I I think part of it can be traced back to some of that, right, and I'm not saying all of it can be, but I do think that there's some relationship between um what we you know saw historically and along with what we see today yeah definitely and I think I think that that uh connection uh, basically when the black church was born born through slavery it seems like like started and just from my like from my research I know that it was if at that time, if you were leading the black church during slavery, there were some, I don't even want to say concessions, but it was kind of like you had a little bit of different, different privileges. Um, but it was under the guise of like, you have to push this on everybody else and it's up to Mm -hmm. you to keep everybody else in line, particularly on Sundays, but also you can't worship with us. So I mean, I definitely get what you're saying when it comes to ha- people having a place to worship and still being very oppressed, even within that worship, even if it's something that they didn't want to participate in that time. So I think that, yeah, it's, we definitely have to, at, at the very least, mention that. Um, but as we move to, you know, current day, now mental health is something that people are pushing to talk about more. Maybe it's still not comfortable. I think it's definitely still taboo. I think there's definitely still a stigma overall in society, but particularly within our community. Um, But I also think 
there are people out there now that are saying, no, I need mental help. Like I need assistance. I need support. And I think when those same people are very involved in the church and grew up in the church, and that is a huge part of their community, um, there can be a point where they, they kind of hit a wall. Um, and that's me expressing kind of what in conversations like people have expressed to me, um, as far as their experiences, I have to be completely transparent and let everybody know, although I've been to black churches, I've gone with my friends, but I grew up in the Catholic church. I grew up in a very, uh, my Catholic church consisted of a lot of Filipinos and a lot of Mexicans. And it was like very diverse in that way. So, um, the spaces that I worshiped in and I grew up worshiping in were very different then, I mean, I didn't meet another black person that was Catholic outside of the kids at school with me until I got to college. And I realized my team, one of my teammates was Catholic too. And that was the first time I ever met somebody outside of like school that, that looked like me and went to a similar church. Funny enough, she actually went to a black Catholic church. Also the first time I ever went to one of those. Um, but I know for you, this is something that's near and dear to your heart and that you can probably speak to from a personal angle, probably more so than I can. So um, just from your experience, have you, how has it been for you talking about mental health? I mean, considering you are a licensed psychologist, how has it been for you bringing up those conversations and like, how do you navigate that space? You know, it's, <clears throat> it's a really interesting space to inhabit in the black church. Um, you know, because I think on one level, you know, people show respect, you know, for people, with degrees, you know, I think that that's a very quote unquote black value, you know? And so, you know, certainly I'm afforded that respect in that way. However, (laughs) it becomes a bit of an interesting dynamic in the sense that um, personally, I feel that sometimes my, um, not necessarily the knowledge base, but more so in terms of my experiences in terms of what I see and what I feel, you know, certainly as um, a psychologist, you know, who is black, who's attending a, you know, predominantly black church, um, that those experiences um, get diminished, you know, mm. and so I, I, I do think it, it speaks to this larger value about around um, mental health being something that's in your mind, right? Um, you know, because a lot of times, you know, for instance, you know, like one of the areas that um, every church I've joined, you know, I've always tried to make sure, you know, to the extent that I can and the extent that I'm welcome to, you know, in order to create like a, a mental health ministry within the church, right? So whether that ministry is doing like actual um, out um, more more community-based events or more so in church events, you know, that we have not only a friendly, but a welcoming and an inclusive um, perspective around mental health issues, right? So for instance, not treating mental health issues as a part of demonology, you know, like that's a mm-hmm. um, taught edict, you know, mm-hmm. um, that if a person is talking to themselves, you know, talking to spirits, you know, and they may be talking to spirits, but also they may also have a mental disorder. Yeah. Yes. There's an underlying organic mental health disorder that's happening, you know, well, 
Um, yeah, I know historically, um, and I was doing some research before we actually hopped on here, but um, historically, mental health issues across the board in religions were deemed a vice of the devil. And mm-hmm. the solution was always was always prayer and stronger faith. And so I feel like when somebody's struggling and the answer is you are not doing enough within your faith or your faith isn't, isn't strong enough, um, that can only make somebody feel that much smaller and that much more kind of pushed out to the side and, and alone in their experience. Right. Which I think brings, you know, around this idea that these problems are internalized when these are not um, problems that can be attributed to, you know, one person. You know, mm-hmm. when we think about mental health disorders, these are biochemical imbalances that oftentimes are reinforced by social cultural influences in terms of your experiences of, um, with the environment. And, <clears throat> and I think oftentimes the onus is to point the finger, you know, at the individual, like you said, in terms of like your faith is not great enough, you're not praying hard enough, or, you know, there's a, a demon and the best way we can get that out is through exorcism, right? Mm-hmm. And certainly um, as a believer and a practitioner, um, I do believe that prayer, certainly a faith and exorcism all has, you know, certainly a place mm-hmm. in the church. I just um, personally also feel that a lot of it has been personalized, you know, individually. Mm. Have you ever like had an experience where somebody has come to, co- to come to you within the church to confide in you, but kind of um, maybe felt a lot of shame around it and maybe reached out to you in a way where it wasn't public. Like it wasn't after, you know, church is over and everybody's talking and communing. Maybe it was like on Facebook or maybe they like saw you in the grocery store and said, like, I think I'm going through this, or I think I have a family member going through this. Like, can you describe a situation where that's happened and what kind of advice do you give that person? You know, I've, I've had actually one person in particular that I'm thinking about who actually reached out to me. I think I was doing a seminar and, you know, about <laughs> the black church and mental health and how important it is. Particularly, I think I was talking about depression in women. And um, this person had approached me and talked to me, you know, um, about their trepidation about coming you know, to see me for services, and I normalized it, of course, that's very understandable, Um, you know, she um, had talked to me, or this individual had talked to me about some of the difficulties that she experienced, and what was holding her back, right, so, you know, I think one piece of was the stigma, but also, you know, having um, family members who she respected, and hearing what they have said Mm. around um, their ideas and their belief systems about mental health you know so this individual actually did um you know come and see me but those same individuals ended up encouraging this individual you know to prematurely terminate from from services wow so you know it's a really tough force to to reckon with you know and so um you know certainly the thing the best thing that we can do you know certainly to validate and to normalize you know that stigma and certainly the trepidation, right? right? And you also normalize their family members' fears, mm. right? Because that's really normal and understandable in terms of why people feel the way that they feel. 
Right. You know, you know, and I think we talked about this in our previous podcast about, you know, how the system, you know, treats black patients, right, or black right. clients. And certainly that becomes, you know, just that pink elephant that's always in the room that's never spoken about, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't trust doctors or, you know, is 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 espousing, you know, these little short statements and, you know, and again, sort of normalizing that. And I think all, but really focusing in on, well, what's happening now, it sounds like you need an extraordinary amount of support and it doesn't sound like you're getting that support right now. Mm. You know, and you create that, that dichotomy for that individual in order to say, yeah. you know, perhaps maybe this is a way to help fill in that gap for you, help yeah. to provide some support that's missing for, from your life. Mm. I think that is, I think that bringing up the fact that some of the people that you love the most and that you look to the most may also be those same people that are, are saying things like you're not praying enough or you haven't, uh, you, you miss church a few times this month. Maybe if you just come back, maybe if you just come to Bible study, like maybe if we just, and for me, what I hear is not only that underlying, you know, issue when it comes to, dealing with medical professionals in, in the black community, which is, I don't trust them. Like, don't tell them too much. That's our business. That's our family's business. Like don't share that. Um, but I think there's also just that you're just discounting the fact that mental health is an actual thing. Um, you invalidating it completely by saying, no, just come pray that that's you know it's it's just in your head it's it is in my head like there is an issue (laughs) and I do need help um but I think that um I I I guess I can't I can't focus so much on that without also shifting the focus for uh places of worship particularly black churches that are trying to do their due diligence and work with somebody like you that might be in the community um, that is trying to uh, promote support around mental health. So how does that, I know that I, I, and I may be getting this wrong, but I know that you, a couple years ago, maybe a few years ago, it's 2022 now, which is crazy, but um, you were doing like a conference or a seminar for your church. Can you tell me a little bit about that and kind of how that came about? Yeah, so thank you for bringing that balance. And I think it's really important, you know, certainly to talk about the other side, right? The churches mm-hmm. who are doing the work and are invested in mental health and understanding mental health, mental health as a real entity um, and normalizing the conversation around that. So actually this um, symposium actually came out of a discussion, you know, with my pastor at the time, you know, in the sense that um, I had noticed that there was, very few mental health resources, you know, certainly within the community, but more importantly, um, that this particular church hadn't necessarily done um, a lot of mental health work. And so I brought it up, you know, to the leader at the time, the, the pastor, um, to solicit his feedback and his idea around creating this mental health conference, you know, for the church. And so we focus on two avenue so it was so so this first conference more so focused on um learning disabilities and and 
mental health issues, you know, so mental health issues and learning disabilities for children, right? And then helping parents to support children through those difficulties. And so whether it's navigating the school system, navigating other institutions of support, you know, whether it's Easter Seals, you know, or just other institutions that support, you know, children with learning disabilities. And so that was our way, our entryway in terms of introducing mental health issues you know, to the church, especially because this is unfortunately an area that a lot of Black parents, you know, deal with, you know, in the sense that they receive notice from their teacher that, you know, a conference is required, and before you know it, you start an IEP or individual individualized education plan. Mm-hmm. And so navigating that system can be very or extremely overwhelming. And so we felt that sort of using that entryway would actually reduce some of the defensiveness a lot of times that we do um, encounter whenever we do talk about mental health issues within the black church. Yeah. And I think, um, but where do you think that defensiveness comes from? I think it goes back to the idea that you introduced initially, right? In the sense that the the stigma of mental health issues, um, the sense of airing out your, your dark, dirty laundry for others to see, um, the idea that you're not taking care of home, you know, mm. in a sense, right? There's this um, interesting idea around, I think, people assuming blame uh, automatically, thinking that people believe that they are to blame when um, maybe their children or, you know, the people you know, who they have responsibility over are exhibiting mental health problems, right? Mm. So, I think that stigma keeps it all intact. Right. Oof. That that's a lot of pressure, I think, for somebody to put on themselves, but I can see how you end up at that point where you are putting a lot of that shame in, in taking the the guilt um on your shoulders. Um as far as just feeling like okay, something's quote unquote wrong with the person you know the the child that I'm taking care of or um my grandchildren that I'm taking care of or whatever it may be and it's like did I do something wrong and I think again going back to that did I like is God punishing me for something that I did I think that's also part of it I don't know if you've come into that but I feel like in just from conversations with people I know that that is that can sometimes play a part where it's like do am I being punished? Do I deserve to sit through this? And if I deserve mm-hmm. to sit through this, if I deserve to be on my own in dealing with this, I I definitely don't deserve support. Right. You know, I really think this podcast, you know, really brings together a lot of the other podcasts that we've talked about because yeah. <laughs> this reminds me of that Superwoman motif. Yes. I think it was our first podcast, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense of like, you know, my mama dealt with this, her mama dealt with this, you know, and mm-hmm. I can deal with it too. You know, and, and this, idea that you have to be a savior one yeah. you know yeah. in order to keep all of this and not just heave it but shoulder it right you have to keep yeah. strong front and not show that you're weak at any point you know at the same time like you said this is an extraordinary amount of stress for the most like well supported group of individuals right say but when this is heaped on Let's be honest, oftentimes one person, you know, the primary caretaker, mm-hmm. it becomes just 
crushing. Yeah. And overwhelming repeatedly. Yeah. And if anybody's wondering, like, which episode uh, Dr. Stevens is talking about, we did an episode, and I believe it's called uh, Superwoman Syndrome. So if you haven't listened to that one, scroll all the way back. I think it's episode one or two. It might be episode two. But uh, make sure you go listen to that. That was an amazing episode. Um, yeah, make sure, you, make sure you roll the scroll all the way back um, and listen to that conversation. But back to this. So I want to talk a little bit about um, therapy and, um, getting support and seeing if that support is, is it possible to find a Christian focused therapist? Because I think that's one thing I know for me, when I started really diving in, um, to find, uh, my, to find my first therapist, um, I didn't realize there were all these categories and I didn't realize that you, that, I could actually see all these categories that they could focus on. Um, and I found it very interesting that there was Christian focus, there were LGBTQ focus, there was um, Muslim focus uh, therapist, and there were also therapists that were focused on um, like children with learning disabilities or um, taking care of el- uh, elderly parents or anything like that. But can you talk a little bit about, I guess, what it means to to find, how do you find a, a, a Christian focus or a religion focus therapist and kind of what that looks like in terms of therapy? You know, so I think one of the best places, you know, to at least start, you know, is with psychology today because a lot of therapists and mental health practitioners um, subscribe to that particular platform. Mm-hmm. And as you indicated, you can filter based on the characteristics that you are looking for you know, and a mental health practitioner, whether it's a woman, you know, certain degreed um, in terms of ideology or religiosity. Um, I think that's one place to look, you know, and then of course, you know, through um, through Google, a lot of times, especially, you know, a lot of, and, and being um, quite honest, you know, a lot of predominantly white churches, they tend to have more of a, or historically, and I think not just because of the view, but I think also part of resources, they've been able to create more mental health services, you know, mm-hmm. attached to um, their religious, I guess I call it programming. Um, you know, and so it, it oftentimes is a separate entity, you know, and certainly through those churches, they've been able to offer Christian counseling, you know, so that's another um, source. So I think primarily through those two sources, you can look and I know that there's another platform through Black men, black Women Therapists. I forget what the name of this is. It's a large yeah. Um, I think, I'm, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it is BlackWomenTherapists.com. But either way, I'll make sure those links are in the description for Psychology Today. And I believe it's Black Women Therapists, BlackFemaleTherapists.com. Um but yeah, just I want people to know, like, if this is if if you would like somebody that is faith based, there are people out there, and particularly if somebody's listening that is maybe a, a bigger part of the church community, um, and that's something that they may want to bring to the table. Um, like, would you suggest like maybe adding some of these resources that are local and might be faith focused to the like church website, or like if somebody's listening and let's say whether they're a mental health professional or not. And they're like, I really want to be the one to step up to, again, I don't, 
I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't go to church. So who do, who do I talk to? If, if I'm somebody's listening, like, who should I go talk to? Should I talk to the pastor? Should I go and talk to the board? Like, who do I talk to about like bringing mental health into the conversation at church? You know, honestly, I think the best place to start is, is the pastor, you know, because I think the pastor will set the tone for a lot of times the, um, um, attitude, the receptiveness, you know, to um, receipt of the mental health services within the church, right, or, or, or within, like, faith-based organizations, I should say, um, because oftentimes the pastor, you know, can dictate to others, you know, what the vision is, like, once you've, you know, been able to consult with them, and a lot of times some of that blowback, you know, that you know, can be traditionally received, can be mitigated with the support from, like, the leader, you know, within this faith-based organization. Mm. I think that's a, a great place to start. You know, perhaps if the pastor is not available or maybe not receptive, perhaps maybe um, where you're sort of leader jumping a bit, you know, but maybe even, like, one of the ministers, you know, if your church is large enough, or your faith-based organization is large enough, maybe start with one of the ministers, you know, so minister on the ministerial board and you know typically you know I think maybe start even with young adult ministry a lot mm -hmm. of times young adult ministers are a lot more open to these issues that are very relevant to young people and I think that's a great place to start as well you know if your head leader is not necessarily open or available mm. no that I think that's really really sound advice um and I think that I hope that uh, I hope that this conversation has helped anybody that is kind of struggling. Uh, but I do want to ask, what advice do you have for somebody that may have gotten this just pray answer? Maybe they've gotten maybe they're a teenager and they've gone to their parents and they've said, hey, I really need some help. I think I may be depressed or um, I just need to talk to somebody that's in mental health or maybe it's somebody that is maybe in their fifties or sixties and they've gone to their spouse and maybe they have gone to their pastor and said, Hey, I just don't feel like I'm getting the support that I need. Like, I think I need somebody in mental health. And what, for those people that have gotten the answer to just pray, what is your advice for that person? Well, I think first of all, I start off, you know, with validating their experiences and their feelings, right? You know, I, I think one in terms of why they originally came to the person but also to validate, you know, how frustrating it might have been, you know, to come to someone and just to receive, just pray. You know, you need to pray more. You need to have stronger faith, right? You know, I think starting off from that place, I think not only does it help to disarm the individual, but it also makes them feel heard and cared about, mm -hmm. right? Because I think, sadly, a lot of times when people say just pray, and I think it, it does come from a place of, of goodness, but also not necessarily knowing what else to say or not knowing what else you know, to do. And especially when we talk about mental health issues, I think, you know, we talk about the taboo, the stigma, uh, the st stigmatizing nature of mental health issues. People become really um, afraid and, and, mm. and, and it creates a lot of trepidation for people who aren't necessarily familiar with mental health issues. So I think the off-repeated phrase of just pray is that person's way of doing something about it when they don't necessarily know what to do about it, right? So I think I also you know, try to provide some insight about that process as well, you know, in the sense that, you know, the individuals 
probably trying to do the best they could with what resources that they have, right? Mm-hmm. So while it may not necessarily be helpful, you know, I want you to understand that they were coming, trying to come from a place of, of helpfulness. But, you know, it doesn't necessarily negate, you know, your experiences. And then, you know, homing, um, honing back in on what their needs are, you know, I think is really important. You know, so if it's something that, you know, I can support them with, you know, that's something where, you know, I try to ensure that they feel heard. But if not, then, you know, I'm like, okay, let's see how can we go about, you know, solving, you know, this issue, if it's an issue to be solved or more so if it might just be an issue they need to be heard about, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, giving people just a quality of time is extremely important, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of using really active, engaged listening, like you're doing just now, right? Yeah. In terms of like the smiling, the gesturing, the nodding, you know, being able to summarize what they've said, you know, being able to paraphrase what they've said, and also being able to provide some genuine empathy, right? you know, is extremely, right. extremely, extremely important. You know, and, and it's just almost just as good as providing quote unquote solutions, because mm-hmm. especially if a person is coming to someone and they want to be heard, just a gift of listening in an honest and and uncritical manner mm-hmm. is the gift that they need. Yes. Yes. I, I think that that is great advice. Um, I think that just like, like you said, listening and truly being empathetic. Um, is definitely a start to that conversation. I think that definitely makes makes somebody feel a lot better about having already kind of been re- what felt like rejection, even if it wasn't intended to be rejection, and then coming to somebody else um, that is at least just open open with them. So I love that, and I, I appreciate I appreciate the conversation, Dr. Stevens. But uh, we've got one more section. We've got the mind games answer. So earlier we had the mind games kind of question. We went through the definition. So I'm going to go ahead and read the definition for mind games again. And then we're going to get a little bit into this particular condition, uh, this particular mental health condition, and get into more of the, the symptoms of it. Once again, mind games question is this particular mental health condition is one that is displayed in an over-the-top level of activity or energy or mood or behavior. This elevation must be a change from your usual self and be noticeable by others. Uh, Some of the symptoms include feelings of invincibility, lack of sleep, racing thoughts and ideas, rapid talking, having false beliefs or perceptions. Now, the answer for today's mind game is mania so this one was really interesting i was doing some research into uh particularly bipolar disorder and um stumbled upon how manic episodes and mania plays a part particularly in bipolar one disorder um some of the some of the symptoms well let's go back here so some of the other mental health conditions that mania can be a part of not only bipolar disorder, but also seasonal affective disorder, postpartum psychosis, uh, schizoaffective disorder, and cyclothymia. Some of the symptoms of a manic episode include having an abnormally high level of activity or energy, feeling extremely happy or excited, or even euphoric, um, not sleeping or only getting a few hours of sleep, but still feeling rested, 
having an having an inflated self-esteem or thinking you're invincible. That's probably the one I've heard a lot about. Um, being more talkative than usual, talking so much and so fast that others can't interrupt, um, having racing thoughts um, or a flight of ideas, uh, being easily distracted by unimportant or unrelated things, being obsessed with or completely absorbed in an activity, um, displaying purposeless movements such as pacing around your home or office or fidgeting when you're sitting, um, showing impulsive behavior that can lead to poor choices, such as buying sprees, uh, reckless sex, or foolish business investments. Um, and then some of the psychotic symptoms of a manic episode include delusions and hallucin hallucinations. These manic episodes, the early signs uh, that you're getting ready to have a manic episode can last weeks or months. If you're not receiving treatment, episodes of bipolar-related mania can last between three to six months. But with, an, with effective treatment, a manic episode usually improves within about three months. I thought this was super, super interesting. I don't think this is something that, that we talk about a lot. I mean, we already don't really talk about mental health a lot, but that's changing. But I think things like uh, manic episodes are a little bit scary to talk about, to be honest. Um, I think they're hard to talk about just because we just don't know a lot about it. And also we like even reading this i feel like i would have seen people in the manic episode i don't know if it was truly a manic episode but i think even just trying to have even though i've gone through the symptoms trying to have a an understanding of what it looks like is also tough because it's not something that again is talked about a lot yeah it's not i guess a couple other things about manic episodes which make up bipolar um it used to be misdiagnosed for 10 or 12 years, but now it's misdiagnosed or delayed diagnosis with seven years. And that's more so, well, like the, the reason why um, it's been like that, the rate of misdiagnosis has reduced significantly with five to, to seven years is with more education. Um, mm -hmm. You know, certainly practitioners are more so looking out for that. But one of the reasons why it, it is misdiagnosis because more people seek out treatment during a depressive episode. Because a part of a bipolar two, um, bipolar one, you know, because you can have a bipolar without the depression, but for those people who have depression, they more so seek out treatment during the depressive episodes, not during the manic episodes. The manic episodes could be problematic, but they're much more productive. And so they recognize it as just being, you know, doing well and not necessarily needing treatment, but needing treatment during the bipolar, I mean, excuse me, during the depressive episode. During the depressive episode. That makes sense. That makes sense because that, I guess, would be like a major change in like their production or they, they're, especially if you're feeling euphoric during a manic episode, mm -hmm. I feel like I, I wouldn't want help during a manic episode. If I'm feeling great and I feel like I have all these ideas and I feel like I'm, I'm tackling things and I, and in your, in your head, you're feeling like, you're making all these, all this progress, mm -hmm. but I'm sure to people on the outside or maybe after the manic episode has ended, then it's, you kind of look back and you're like, oh, wow, hold on. Maybe that wasn't exactly what I thought it was. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Well, if you are um, listening and you want to learn a little bit more about it, I will definitely put the link 
for um, some more information about around mania and manic episodes in the description. Um, I thought that was super interesting. Um, actually have a lot more information about it, but I'm not going to read it right now. Y'all got to go look for yourselves. <laughs> Maybe I'll make some, um, some IG, some Instagram videos about it. We'll see. But um, I do just want to thank you, Dr. Stevens again for, um, for joining me. It was great to see you. It's been way too long. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. You're always so wonderful. So thank you again. Oh, you're, you're awesome. So I'm, I'm just happy that we had a chance to connect. Um, I want to thank everybody that has listened to another episode. Um, but Dr. Stevens, if anybody wants to reach out to you, whether it is for questions, maybe they want to possibly seek treatment with you. Um, maybe they want to interview as well. Where can they reach you? Um, best and the easiest is through Ultimate Thinking Psychological Consultants at 386-243-5228. That is 386-243-5228. Or by email at utpcaa, as in Apple Apple, at utpcpa.com. Perfect. And if you didn't catch all those letters, I'll make sure we put all of that information in the description. So if you want to reach out to Dr. Stevens, um, I'll make sure you have everything you need to do that. Um, make sure you're following Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 on IG at, at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. Follow us on TikTok. Um, I'm finally on there. The videos are coming. Um, you know, don't, just hype me up a little bit because I I'm trying. Your girl is trying. Um, it's at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 on TikTok. On Twitter, it's at Anxious Black Girls. That's B-L-K at Anxious Black Girls. Um, if you want to uh, be on an episode, if you're a mental health professional and a Black woman and you'd like to come on and talk about a particular topic, please reach out. Alternately, if you are just an everyday Black woman, an everyday Black queen, and you want to come on um, and just talk about your mental journey, your journey with your own mental health, uh, please feel free to come on. Um, please feel free to reach out to me at uh, blackgirlshaveanxiety2 at gmail.com. I'm always looking for more guests, always looking for more uh, new conversations. Yeah. Anyways, thank you for listening, Dr. Stevens. Thanks again. Um, thank you to everybody that's listening, and I will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Black Girls Have Anxiety 2. No matter where you are in the world, I really appreciate your support. See you again on the next episode, but until then, follow us on Instagram at Black Girls Have Anxiety 2 and on Twitter at Anxious Black Girls. That's Anxious BLK Girls. And remember, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you have to struggle in silence. The more we talk about it, the more we heal.